0: Chapter 4, Answers to some Puzzling Questions Velikovsky's thesis concerning ancient heavenly manifestations may explain why nearly all ancient religions commonly revert to images, the cow and the serpent. It may also serve to increase our understanding of scriptural references to these two objects. Although the Israelites were not idol worshippers, the imagery of both the serpent and the cow is used repeatedly by the prophets, and the symbols of the ox and the snake were used by Moses according to the Lord's instructions. They worshipped what they saw. The worship of the cow or bull may have begun at the time of the Exodus. According to Velikovsky, all ancient civilizations referred to Venus as once having been a comet of great and imposing appearance, and during the time of the Exodus, quote, The comma, or tail, of Venus changed in form with the position of the planet. When the planet Venus approaches the Earth now, it is only partly illuminated. A portion of the disk, being in shadow, it has phases like the moon. At this time, being closer to the Earth, it is more brilliant. When Venus had a comma, the horns of the crescent may have been extended by the illuminated portions of the comma. It thus have had two long appendages, and looked like a bull's head. That is a quote from Worlds in Collision, page 175. Aaron was a man who had worked hand in hand with the prophet. He had been called by God to be a spokesman for Moses, yet he condescended to fashion a golden calf for the children of Israel, that they might worship it, and all this contrary to explicit directions from Moses. It seems curious that the children of Israel would wish to worship a golden calf in light of the fact that God had so severely punished the idol-worshiping Egyptians. Hadn't they been delivered just as Moses had promised? Hadn't they been told that idol worship was wicked? Hadn't they witnessed the power of God in their deliverance? More than anyone else, hadn't they good reason to be true to God's commandments? Velikovsky's explanation of the appearance of Venus in the days before and after the exodus seems, at least to some extent, to explain the idolatry of the Israelites. In other words, the children of Israel forged an idol in the form of the image, the comet Venus, which they had seen in the heavens. The Lord himself, speaking through the prophet Amos hundreds of years later, rebuked the house of Israel. Quote, but ye have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and shewn your images and the the star of your God, which ye made for yourselves, end quote. Amos 5:26. Since the only image which the children of Israel made during their wandering was that of a golden calf, it would seem it is to that image or star which the Lord had reference in speaking of the star of your God. The historian Ginsburg quotes rabbinical literature as stating that the Israelites saw the ox in the heaven while they were passing through the Red Sea that is in Ginsberg Legends, volume 3, page 123, as quoted in Worlds in Collision, page 166. The idea of cows as objects of reverence was widespread among ancient cultures. Many scholars have sought to explain the parallel development of these ideas in many religions, but none of their conclusions seems, seems as reasonable as Velikovsky's. In other words, all ancient cultures worshipped the cow because all the inhabitants of the earth had seen the same manifestation in the sky. Satan and the serpent. The other object that is almost universally included in the religions of the world is the snake or serpent. To Christians, the serpent is a symbol of Satan and evil, but to nearly all ancient religions it was a form of reverence and veneration. Worship of the serpent is found in cultures in China, India, Arabia, Egypt, Northern Europe, Mexico, and Peru, just to name a few. In a summary of those events, which gave rise to the metaphor of the serpent or dragon, Velikovsky stated that, quote, at that same time that the seas were heaped up in immense tides, a pageant went on in the sky, which presented itself to the wh- horrified onlookers on earth as a gigantic battle. The tail of the comet and its head, having become entangled with each other by the, their close contact with the earth, exchanged violent discharges of electricity the tail and the head were attracted one to the other and repelled one from the other from the serpent-like tail extensions grew and it lost the form of a column it looked now like a furious animal with legs and with many heads the discharges tore the column to pieces a process that was accompanied by a rain of meteorites upon the earth it appeared as though the monster were defeated by the brilliant globe and buried in the sea the events in the sky were viewed by the peoples of the world as a fight between an evil monster in the form of a serpent and a light god who entangled the monster in battle, and thus saved the world. The tail of the comet leaping back and forth under the discharges of the flaming globe was regarded as a separate body, inimical to the globe of the comet. The sea was cleft, the earth was cut with furrows. The earth rumbled for many years, and the people thought that the fiery dragon had been struck down, had descended underground and was groaning there. End quote. Worlds in Collision, pages 91 through 95. In light of Velikovsky's description, scriptural references to the dragon or serpent take on added meaning. Quote, awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in ancient days, in the generations of old. Art thou not it that hath cut Rahab, contester, and wounded the dragon? Art thou not it which has dried up the sea in the waters of the great deep, and hath made the depths of the sea away for the ransom to pass over? End quote. Isaiah 519 9-10. Isaiah was speaking of the Exodus. Note the reference to the ransomed, or the Israelites crossing over the depths of the sea. Rahab is the po- poetical name for Egypt. The arm of the Lord may even be a reference to the head of the comet itself, for Isaiah points to it as the agent which cut Rahab, or Egypt, wounded the dragon, the comet's tail, and dried the sea. Another scripture that links the serpent with the exodus is found in Job. Quote, He bindeth up the waters in his thick clouds. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his reproof. He divideth the sea with his power. His hand hath formed the crooked serpent. End quote. The serpent in the future. The metaphor of the serpent is not only used by prophets when describing past events, but also when they speak of the future, quote, in that day, the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he that slayeth the dragon that is in the sea, End quote. John in the book of Revelation appears to have reference to the same event as that just quoted in Isaiah, speaking of a time when the serpent would be bound. He wrote that, quote, He saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit, end quote. John further declared, quote, And I saw an angel come down out of heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, End quote. The prophets were not naive. They knew that Satan was not a serpent, but the analogy was a convenient and appropriate one. Anyone knowing the true nature of past and future destructions would understand. This reference to Satan as the serpent or snake may also account for the description in Genesis of Eve's deception by a serpent. All of the original documents from which our Old Testament were taken were written by prophets who lived after the Exodus. It may be... That they wished to impress upon the minds of the people the fact that Satan, the great deceiver of mankind and enemy to God, was a, as real as a menacing and as menacing as the fiery serpent in the heavens, which had seemed capable of destroying the earth as well as mankind. Apparently, the imagery has, was successful, for nearly every prophet since then has employed it. The imagery of parables. Closely related to the imagery is the use of parable. We know from history that the Jews loved parables. The Savior himself used them as a teaching tool. A parable has more than one level of meaning. The Savior's parable of the sower and the seed is a good example of this. Unless we understand the underlying meaning, the story seems to be simply that of a farmer sowing seeds in various types of soil. Yet the most important message is the secondary one. Nephi spoke of the problem of understanding the Jews who wrote and spoke in parables, Quote, "'For behold, Isaiah spake many things "'which were hard for many of my people to understand, "'for they knew not concerning the manner "'of the prophesying of the Jews. "'Yea, and my soul delighteth in the words of Isaiah. "'For I came out of Jerusalem, "'and mine eyes hath beheld the things of the Jews, "'and I know that the Jews do understand "'the things of the prophets. "'And there is none other people that understand "'the things which were spoken unto the Jews "'like unto them.' save it be that they are taught after the manner of the things of the Jews." End quote. At the time Nephi made this observation, the Nephites were only one of two generations moved from their ancestors in Jerusalem. Nevertheless, they could not understand the writings of the Jews. The task for us is many, many times more difficult for we are scores of generations and several diverse cultures removed from those who wrote the most ancient scripture. To understand their writings, we too must understand the manner of the things of the Jews. Understanding the Prophets The book of Isaiah provides an excellent example of the importance of understanding the use of parable. Why, for example, would Isaiah refer to Satan as Lucifer, son of the morning? It is the only time in all the scriptures that Satan is given, given the name of Lucifer. The word literally means light-bearer. And almost all biblical scholars agree that the appellation refers to the planet Venus, likely the planet Venus as the morning star which appears as the morning or an evening star according to as it is west or east of the sun, returning to the same position about every 18 months. It may thus be a harbinger of daylight. Velikovsky's affirmation that Venus was the cause of most of the phenomena in the Exodus may provide a cue to Isaiah's reference to the morning star as the central character in the 14th chapter. Latter-day Saints understand that Isaiah is speaking of the fall of Satan before the world was, and while that or this is true, a close reading of the entire chapter also reveals that the Lord is predicting, through his prophet, the fall of the king of Babylon. Velikovsky sees this does not alter the meaning of Isaiah as we know it, but adds yet another level of meaning. This is very typical of Jewish parables. Three levels of meaning may seem unusual to us, but it was a typical practice for ancient prophets and scholars. In the 14th chapter of Isaiah, the Lord is giving a message to the king of Babylon. In verses 4 through 11, the Lord is speaking in a future tense telling what will happen to the king of Babylon as if it had already happened. Prophetic future tense. He tells of the joy of the people and of nature that this tyrant no longer oppresses them. Then in the oft-quoted verses pertaining to the fall of Satan from heaven, the Lord is still speaking to the king of Babylon concerning his impending fall from power. Thus we have at least two levels of meaning, the first of which seems to be a type for the second. Lucifer, a comet-turned-planet. Yet is, there Yet is yet another level of meaning, for this scripture may be understood to depict the fall of Venus from being the most awesome spectacle in the heavens, while it was still an incandescent comet with a tremendous tail to a seemingly tame planet. Isaiah lived around 700 BC, several centuries after the Exodus. Nevertheless, he, having studied the writings of former prophets, he understood the true nature of the great phenomena surrounding the Exodus. He may have even seen the exodus in vision. Reading the 14th chapter of Isaiah in light of such a third level of meaning provides some interesting insights. When Isaiah said, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? He may have had reference to the fact that the once great comet that had soared high in the heavens had subsequently fallen to become an ordinary morning star, a common planet, cut to the ground so as to be barely visible above the horizon. Furthermore, the comet didst weaken the nations by means of the destruction which ensued as it approached the earth. Then Isaiah spoke of its brightness and its motion in the heavens, quote, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation and in the sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the most high. End quote. The comet seemed to defy the order which govern the stars and other planets, as it seemed to move independently of the rest. In rivaling the sun in brightness, it sought to be like the Most High. Then Isaiah declared the condemnation and fall of the comet, saying, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. The reference to the earth as hell and the pit, and the point where the horizon meets the sky as the sides of the pit, are ancient and poetic references probably having their origin in past destructions. Venus now appears on the horizon, or the sides of the pit, and they that see thee narrowly look upon thee, and consider thee. Now the planet Venus can be seen with a naked eye a few months out of the year, and then only in the morning or evening. Hence those that look at it narrowly see it. Then, in what seems to be a reference to the terrible destruction visited upon the earth by Venus, Isaiah stated that men shall inquire. Quote, "Is this the man that made the whole earth tremble and did shake the kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of the prisoners?" End quote. And finally, Isaiah referred to the fall of Venus from its position among the other planets to an inferior position, from a course high in its zenith to a course which ba- leaves it barely visible on the horizon. Quote, "All of the kings of the nations, even all of them, lie in glory every one in his own house." But thou art cast out of thy grave, like an abominable branch, and as the raiment of those that are slain, thrust through with a sword, that go down to the stones of the pit, as a carcass trodden under feet, Because of the capacity of the parable to convey several levels of meaning, these excerpts refer not only to the fall of Satan from his former glory, and the impending fall of the king of Babylon, but these excerpts also likely refer to the actual fall of the comet Venus, the past, a key to the future. Therefore, an understanding of Velikovsky's reconstruction of history may allow us to more fully understand what the prophets have written. And understanding the past events of the scriptures will allow us to better understand the prophecies of the last days. For the prophets use the same metaphors and similes in speaking of the future, which they used in speaking of the past. In other words, prophecy is a parable for modern man.